leadership is not about somebody else. And I hate it when I work with an organization and they talk about they, or they talk about them. (laughs) There is no, I look them up in the book. They're not there. Hey, it's David. And you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show today. I am so glad you're with us here, getting towards the end of season 13, and we have a guest with a topic that I just I, I just loved the title of this book and the opening few paragraphs so much when I first uh, saw it. So I'm glad to introduce and bring it to you today. Our guest today is Richard Moran, and Richard has served as a CEO, a college president, a venture capitalist, a top-level consultant, uh, owns a winery in California. That's not in the official bio, Richard. I hope you don't mind if I throw that in there. Yeah. And uh, he's worked for, uh, for or with some of the world's leading organizations, including Accenture, Apple, News Corp., American Airlines, PG&E, and many others. And he prides himself on his matter-of-fact manner of consulting and believes that many parts of the business world are needlessly complicated. And I know you'll get an amen from a lot of listeners today. Uh, And he brings that perspective to bear as it relates to the book that we're talking about today, which involves decision-making. The name of the book is Never Say Whatever, How Small Decisions Make a Big Difference. Richard Moran, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. And based on that introduction, it sounds like I have a checkered past <laughs> <laughs> or that I can't keep a job. So uh, I thanks for that gracious introduction. Oh, well, hey, that's the truth, right? We're all about getting it out there. So, uh, well, before we dive into the book, and I really am looking forward to our conversation about never say whatever. Uh, and uh, But before we do, just to learn a little bit more about you, can you take us back uh, as far back as you want to go to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? Wow. Um, well, it might go back to college. I mean, where you're thrust into roles where you may not want to be a leader, but you have to become one. And and it was where it was in college that I learned that actually people want to be led. People want to be uh, uh, given some direction so that they can comply with what's what's in front of them. So it was college. And then from there, I just have always been, um, uh, and maybe we'll get into this as we talk later, but I've always been a really good listener. And it's a skill as a leader that I always think is vastly underestimated. But I listen to people and then sometimes I tell them what they said and they think that's a leader. So uh, I am... Uh, I've always been, in, I guess, interested in human behavior and doing the right thing. And that often just requires some listening and leadership. Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. And that that experience in college of that recognition that people want leadership. Uh, and, and we all do in different aspects of life. It doesn't mean even if you're no. a leader in many ways, you might in other arenas like it's it's helpful to have someone providing that vision, that inspiration, and, and pulling people together to do something that's bigger than any one of us. Yeah, and part of what I, I try to tell people in, in in everything that I do is, you may not be the leader of IBM or Apple, but we're all leaders of something. Every single listener is a leader of something. It, it may be your organization, it may be your company, it may be your church group, it may your bowl, be your bowling league. It's probably, your family, but at the lowest, lowest level, it's yourself. You need to lead yourself. 
and make decisions that will uh, direct yourself. So leadership is not about somebody else. And I hate it when I work with an organization and they talk about they, or they talk about them. <laughs> there is no, I look them up in the book. They're not there. Um, so there is no they, there's a lot of self, I guess, reflection and awareness that makes each of us a leader. Uh, you're reminding me of a rant I went on uh, my first middle level leadership role ever. And uh, so many years ago, but I was having a conversation with some of the management uh, managers and one of them, one of them said, Hey, you know, and when they, 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 and I, I who is they? <laughs> I yeah. just about stood up and said, there is no, no. they, <laughs> there is no, in fact, when I was a CEO, I, I, often, I didn't, it only happened once, but someone talked about they, someone talked about them. I said, I am them. I am they, if you're looking for those, that person who's making these decisions, that's me. I am they, stop. And I, it just is, it's one of those irritating things in all organizations when people talk about they or yeah. them. Yeah, well, that's human nature too. It's one of those things we have to fight against in, uh, in our own leadership and, and with our teams. So, well, and that helps get us into this, uh, this topic uh, of the book, Never Say Whatever, How Small Dis De Decisions Make a Big Difference. Uh, but I'm not pronouncing whatever with the proper tone and uh, <laughs> nature and, and infusing it with all of the, when, when I actually read the book, it's more of like a whatever or as my daughter used to say, whatevs. Yeah, yeah. Well, th there's a lot of ways to pronounce it. <laughs> um, there's a lot of meanings for the word whatever. Um, and, you know, it can be whatever or whatever, <laughs> or, you know, it, there's so many different ways. But the point of the book is they're all bad. Whatever is a very toxic word. It's, it's sort of like, uh, well, it has a lot of uses. In that way, it's like the F word. But the but whatever is just toxic and it, it can signify, it can send a message that uh, usually it means I don't care, but it can also mean I hate you. It could also mean you make the decision for me and I'll blame you later. It can mean I'm, I'm helpless. It, it, it can mean I'm dismissing you. There's so many different messages. And um, as, as one reader pointed out, there is one good definition, only one. And that is, in the use case of something like I love you and I'll do whatever it takes to win your your affections that's it that's the one and only use case other than that other than that I mean the at the most basic level it has two very toxic uh implications one is it it sends out the persona that you're a slacker or a stoner or you just are lazy but it also means you're not making a decision when you say whatever you're not making a decision that is right in front of you. And people make the mistake, a lot of research has been done about this that I've often heard, oh, I'm dealing with so many big decisions. You're not, you're dealing with a lot of little decisions. And the research shows that there's about 12 or 15 big decisions in our lives, that's it. And it's careers, where you live, who you marry, children, college, whether or not you get a dog. I mean, there, there's not big, that's it. There's People are hard pressed to name a lot of big ones. So it's the small ones that matter. And um, research has also found that there's 
Um, just in that act of going out to lunch with a colleague at work, you make over 300 different decisions. Hmm. It can be where to go, where to sit, rye, whole wheat, sourdough, lettuce. I mean, just think about it. And every time you say the, what it, the word whatever, you're likely to get the sandwich that you don't want. So it's, so that's my, you know, there's. And this is a, a metaphorical sandwich that, yeah. <laughs> that life gives us in so many different yeah. ways. So, well, let's, Richard, let's back up to, uh, and I think this is an important story because it really puts all of this into context and it, it felt very real. You take us there in the book, uh, your opening chapter, your, or it, it's called the anti whatever evangelist is born. And you're, you share this story of a, a CEO. And I love how you phrase this, this guy or this person, they put the re and rework, uh, you know, yeah. constantly coming back and having all this rework. And, uh, and I could empathize with your colleague who used the W word. I, I ha I'm human. Even knowing we're doing this interview today, three or four <laughs> days ago, I was, I was doing this activity and I got so frustrated and, uh, there was another person involved and and they were not being their best anyway and i i just i finally went oh whatever <laughs> and i all, like i gave up i surrendered i was like i'm done with this and then i had to gather it back and, and dial it back but so take us to the situation where the ceo who puts the re and rework and the colleague used the w word and everything that was going on there well it was a, it was a big project at a big company it was i was at accenture at the time and millions of dollars are being spent and it's a large team. It's 10 of us working on an implementation. And every time the CEO showed up, he, it just happened to be a man, would, you know, poke around and, you know, just make, create rework every time. And it was, it was really an ego driven thing where we didn't need to do it, but he wanted to put his little shine on the, on the project. And finally, out of frustration on one of his many visits, one of my colleagues who happened to be a woman rolled her eyes and under her breath said, whatever, I meaning, you know, okay, we'll do it, but I hate you. And this is, it doesn't matter. And, and I saw her do it. And I thought one, we might get fired from the project because she's being disrespectful and, and dismissive and, and B, for a consulting firm, it meant more revenue. We were gonna, we'll be there longer. It, we may, it, it's rework, and we may not want to do it, but it it just extended the project. But it was then I learned how toxic the word could be in that environment. A, she was being rude to the rest of her team, and we might get fired, and she should maybe be fired. But it was just a bad attitude all around, and that's when I thought, this is a word that might mean uh, some more, might need more explanation and uh, understanding about how, how toxic it is in the workplace. And it happens all the time. Yeah, it does. And I, I thought what was so powerful about that example is I, I think just about everyone can relate with that scenario and has either been the person saying, and rolling their eyes and feeling like a victim and like, you know, and, and giving up uh, and being all the things you just said, dismissive, hateful, all, all, all the rest that went with that. And many, many of us, we've been in those scenarios or you've had the person who has or in some aspect, right? So it's identifiable, relatable, but we have so many other choices. And that's part of the message you're trying to deliver yeah. here, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and her choice could have been silence. And then we talk about it as a team later. 
Um, she also, she could have confronted the, the CEO and said, hey, hey dude, you know, we can do this, but it's gonna take longer and be more expensive. And she, or talked to me about that later, but instead she just, you know, it was just a, uh, uh, a toxic and offensive way to deal with the situation. She chose, she chose that. Um, but in, in so doing, we also had, had, you know, we did all the rework. I mean, I was afraid we were gonna get fired. When we're talking about whatever, you've you've given us the definition of all the different things that it can mean and attitudinally, but at its core, there is this idea when you're talking about whatever and never say whatever, is that you're avoiding making a decision, that you're you're essentially throwing the decision back into the air and, and refusing to to take it. Is that am I interpreting that correctly? Yes. Yeah, that that is that is correct. And 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 sometimes as as lots of leaders have said, it, um, when you don't make a decision, you've made a decision. Yeah. Well, hey, my one of my favorite rock bands from Canada, Rush. You know the, the oh, yeah. song "Free Will." If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Yeah. The lyrics yeah. were just going through my head over and over again reading your book. So, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. And I think that that element now, as we get into decision making and all the decisions we have, you you mentioned the the research around going out to lunch. That's three hundred decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when you think about all the decisions that we make as leaders in the course of just one day, I don't know how many that comes out to. You might have the research on that. Uh, in one of the chapters in the book, you talk about why decisions can be so difficult. So I'm curious how we give attention to the decisions that warrant attention and, and it may be, and help us, do they all warrant attention? Do they all warrant equal attention? Uh, because I, I, I'm thinking decision fatigue is also a real thing. So how do I, how do I optimize all of these things? Well, there, there's, you raised a, a whole slew of topics there, David. One is, um, I think in my research and I interviewed a whole bunch of CEOs and leaders, um, I found that they were willing, they didn't say whatever they, they made decisions when they were faced with them and it could have been a small decision. It could have been a, a, a big decision. And, and they also had a process. Um, and informally, this is, this is how, what I discovered, that leaders listen to people, listen to the stakeholders. They look at the data. They clarify the options, which is really important. There's not thousands of options typically. There's two or three. And then they choose one. And that could be about strategy. It could be about M&A or it could be about what, who to hire. Um, so, so they almost always go through that very simple process. And part of what I try to do, illustrate in the book also, is that there's hundreds of books written about decision-making that are out right now. But, and some of them are about pivot tables and spreadsheets and flux capacitors and I, I don't know, you know, all kinds of tools that you can use. Um, but, uh, it's almost always boils down to that. Listen, look at the data, examine the options, and then choose one. Mm -hmm. And and what I also discovered was that leaders are not averse to risk. A almost always a decision will have a slight element or a big element of risk with it. And good leaders say, okay, I understand. 
but I'll take that risk. And um, I also discovered in talking to some leaders that it's, it's sort of like the, uh, the word is illegal in their organization. You just, uh, my favorite one was I talked to Michael Huerta, who was the head of the Federal Aviation Administration. And he said, it, it was just not part of the FAA culture. I mean, it, no one ever said it. And he said, can you imagine an air traffic controller talking to a, a pilot and then they're talking about which which runway to land on. I say, whatever. No, you can't do that. <laughs> so, so, but I do think that they they make them because the decision fatigue sets in. You raise that issue also. When you don't make a decision and they pile up, then you're burdened by all the decisions that you have not made. I, I, I use the example of email. We all get a ton of email every morning. We open up our computer, boom, boom, boom. It's easy to hit the delete button. And, but then there's a category of those that you sort of park and don't make a decision about. And then at the end of the week, they're all, you're burdened by this, by all the decisions that you didn't make. And that's when decision fatigue sets in. And we're also set hit with so many different options and so many different categories of things to do that fatigue is, is a real, is a real yeah, thing. So one of the, the ideas that as, as I'm, as I was reading the book, this, notion that there are all these decisions and if we let them pile up or they they can um that well the research that you said that you cite in the book you said that it, uh the faster you said there are many studies that say the faster you may, you're able to make decisions the more successful you'll be and yet there are also some decisions that shouldn't be rushed and so there's this balance of figuring out that sweet spot of knowing what is what and even back to your example about an executive who somebody's bringing them a decision to make it occurs to me that sometimes one of the most effective decisions they could make is a conscious choice to say, I'm not going to make that decision. I want you to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's pointed out clearly in the foreword, which was written by the former CEO of NPR, who was taken to the woodshed by Sumner Redstone, who said, your job is to get people around you to make decisions. And I think the leader who is, uh, burdened with decision with decisions is one who doesn't let the people around around them make a decision. And I think actually um, the joy of work is often about making decisions. You make decisions about how to deal with a customer. You make decisions about the product. Um, and there's that classic quote by the one of the former head of the U.S. Postal Service who said, "You're not paid." to do anything above your neck. And which, you know, he got in a lot of trouble for it, but he basically um, told everybody of the rank and file, don't make decisions. We, I don't want you to make decisions. And he took the joy out of work for- Yeah, that's, that's for prison everybody. labor, right? Yeah. yeah. So when you make a decision and you're confident in it and it turns out to be great, the, rejoice, because it's a, it's a good thing that just happened. Well, let's uh, let's dive a little bit deeper into that. Is uh, you mentioned the risk factor earlier? So we know the research for many decisions. You the faster you make them, more successful you'll be. And you you mentioned the comfort with risk. Not all of these decisions are going to go our way. So I know we have listeners who tend to to be not every listener, but some listeners who are going to be a little more analytic, a little more risk averse, a little gosh, yeah, but what if I get that wrong? How do you help or how do you suggest uh, that we navigate that without falling into whatever? 
Yeah. Uh, the, the, the research and the interviews were, were so instructive for me and I boiled it down to a very simple notion and, and it's all about intent. And in it, um, whether they express it or not, leaders often are clear about their own intent and understand their organization's intent and can make decisions based on that intent. And they take actions based on that intent. So I've, I've boiled it down to three words, and that is actions follow intent. If you intend to lose weight, you act like you're on a diet. If you intend to stay married, you act like you are married. If, I mean, it's as simple as that. And if you intend to be a successful leader, then you need to make decisions. And in an organizational way, organizations who are clear on, on their intent often can be um, more successful because people make decisions along those ways. I, everybody talks about Apple. Everybody talks about them and Steve Jobs. Well, Apple is always clear on their intent. They're always, they're gonna make world-class pool products. So their decisions are based, on, are based on that. And organizations that don't have a clear intent, then it's not, not so clear how to, how to make decisions or what to do. And you know, if you're listening and thinking, okay, well, I get that, but gosh, my organization is struggling with that. We don't have a clear intent and I'm not in that capacity. You can still provide that intent with your team. You can create that for yourselves right. at the team level. Yeah, you can. And in fact, one of the interviews I did was with a man, uh, his, his name is uh, 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 John Bullock. He is both an, an attorney, a very successful corporate attorney, and he's also an Episcopal priest. And he has, he's developed a personal intent. His intent is to help people. So both as, a, as an attorney and as a priest, he makes decisions based on that. And it never occurred to me that we could have individual intents mm. that help us make decisions. And, and he was, it was a clarifying moment for me in decision-making that some, A, someone could have two, two important jobs like that, and B, he could do it because he had a clear intent. Now, not all intents are good. I mean, you can make decisions based on, you know, diabolical cunning sure. and bad intent. But in this case, they were good. And I think when you have a, a clear intent, career-wise, personally, yeah, I, I think that decisions are just much easier to make. Absolutely. All right, so actions follow intent. We've got some uh, real practical advice coming. That's the start of it right there when we're talking about uh, today's topic, Never Say Whatever. Our guest today is Richard Moran, the author of Never Say Whatever, How Small Decisions Make a Big Difference. And uh, it seems to me, as we're talking about all this, that this overriding, overarching principle is, uh, is to be conscious of our yes or no and not allow decisions to float by unmade. Mm -hmm. that, there's, that there's that aspect of it that we're really looking at what's happening with us consciously, with intent. And you said actions follow intent, but that we're paying intent and, and being intentional about what we're doing. And, and people, th this is not abstract. I mean, our conversation is a good example. You get a lot of requests for interviews. You get a lot of requests to be on your podcast. And you could have said, yeah, here's another one, whatever, and thrown the book on the pile. I get a lot of requests to do interviews. 
And based on the, my listening to, to your previous podcasts, and I, I, I didn't say whatever. I said, yeah, that's one I want to do. And that, I mean, it's, that is a good example. And had we not done that, both of us, then the opportunity would have been missed. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I tell the story in the book. I was with one of my sons. We're at a baseball game. And we're drinking a beer on the mezzanine and actually it was our second or third beer. And his boss walked by and he, in that split second, he could have said, whatever, I don't want to talk to her. But instead he called her and said, Hey, come on over. And I met her. We had a great chat and developed, and he has since developed a better relationship with her because she saw him outside of the office. And it's, that could have been a whatever moment. He could have let that slip by, but he didn't. He, he made a small, that was a really small decision that he made in a nanosecond, but it, it mattered. It mattered. And it's those, imagine how many times we are faced with something like that every day. And, and, and we need to respond. And the, 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 what strikes me, and, and you share so many of these examples in the book, I mean, just riff off a couple of preparing for a Zoom meeting, how we're showing up for our, our online calls like that. If a meeting is optional, does that mean you should go or not? You have a decision to make. And it's, you know, and it may be that attending that meeting is a really good choice. It may be not attending that meeting is a really good choice, but to make the decision, not whatever, either yeah. way. Yeah, that's, yeah. Zoom meetings showing up. I mean, People ask me all the time now about returning to the office and, you know, they have a whatever attitude toward it. And I say, well, maybe, but I I can tell you this, if your boss doesn't know your name, you're probably likely to be in the first batch of people to get laid off. So it's not a whatever moment. It's, you know, you need to make that decision. And, and if you're willing, then the consequence could be your boss knows your name and you get all the assignments or your boss doesn't know your name and you get laid off, but either way you there's consequences. And as a leader, when you're considering, if you're considering return to office or bringing people in, that's not a whatever moment. And we've seen people do that, right? Where leaders bring people in, oh, whatever, I just want them around. And, and they're not being conscious or intentional about it. And now people are feeling disaffected. Why am this is a waste of time? And why am I here? And they go find another place to work. Yeah, it, there, it's, it's everywhere. It's just a pervasive, I, I did find in the, uh, in the interviews that, there's some consensus that the larger the organization, the more likely it is that there'll be some whatevers in the organization because people just feel helpless that whatever their actions are, whatever their little decisions are, it's not going to have an impact. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of shrugging shoulders and rolling eyes, whatever, I'll, I'll show up, but it's not gonna make a difference. And, and I think if for large organizations, if you get that sense, then you need to break it down into smaller groups and smaller departments so that you know, because whatever, whatever means things don't get done. Yeah. And there's so much opportunity. I mean, you're, you're taking me back. Like I said, that I remember that, that rant and it started for me as a young leader, uh, several years of really working on ownership that this is our organization. Every single, if you have a leadership title and if you're a part of the organization period, it's your organization. Let's make it what it, it needs to be and that that sense of ownership and that we do have the ability to act and choose and not universal none of us are god and can control everything but we have choices well one of the a woman that i interviewed he's in a large organization who's just great and very effective 
she said that um, she deals with the whatever response in her organization by the simple question. She says, tell me what that means. Mm. When someone says whatever to her, she says, okay, tell me what that means. Does that mean you don't give a shit? Does that mean you are, you don't like me? Does that mean you're ready to quit? What, tell me what that means. And she says, people stop saying it. And I, I give her credit for it, but it's a very simple tool to combat that whatever attitude. Yeah. And if you're feeling that yourself, you're listening right now and going, gosh, you know, uh, Richard, David, I, I've said whatever just yesterday, you know, and, or maybe I didn't say it out loud, but I certainly, in my internal dialogue, it was there. Uh, you've got a number of different ways to help us start to make these decisions and, and to do them in different ways. One, I want to run through a couple of these suggestions. They're, they're very practical and useful. One of them, and you just mentioned an example of it a few minutes ago, is you can kill whatever thinking by using if-then scenario ways of thinking. So tell us what that if-then scenario way of thinking is and how we might use that in our day-to-day leadership. Sure. Well, for the technical people, it's just a simple algorithm. It's um, if I do this, then this will happen. If I don't do this, then this will happen. And so it, it keeps... Uh, it keeps the options, you know, rolling out. It keeps the consequences rolling out. And it's a very simple, you know, I, I use it all the time. If, if, if we didn't do this interview, then no, your listeners would, would not know about the book. If I did the interview, I, I hope people will, will be interested. So if, if then is a very simple tool and it's often uh, the, the most, the, I, what I find the fastest way to make the decision, if if this then this, if I want if I want the sandwich quickly, then I better get one that's already made rather than order a new one. So it's if it's and simple. so that's a very uh, micro example of the sandwich. You share in the book that you use that method to make a really difficult decision, or at least it seemed a difficult decision for me. You can tell us whether it was or not in terms of when you were a college president and in an athletics program. Yeah it's a, it's a nightmare for any, if you ask any college president, the biggest nightmare is dealing with sports and, and the problems with the finances of of sports. So when I was a college president, I had to make a very difficult decision. We were losing, it was financial, not a financially uh, uh, good path we were on. And it was all about the football team. We were losing money because of the football team. No one was going uh, it's a hundred people that I had to go ship around the country. So I made the hard choice of eliminating the football program. Hate mail, death threats, everything bad followed, but it put the college in a much, much better uh, standing. And I, and the simple if then was, if I don't eliminate the football team, the college is going to suffer financially for years. If I do eliminate the football team, then I will take a ton of grief, but it's in the best interest of the college. And I chose, I actually chose the more difficult decision for the benefit of the institution. And the other uh, context of that decision that I think really relates to whatever is that you were nearing the end of your term and could easily have said, whatever, and let the next person have to it deal with have. it. Uh, well, it could have, yeah. Well, every, every president before me had said whatever. That's why it was in the, in the spot that it was. So yeah, I am, I, I'm not, a, I am, I am never, I am, I have never been accused of being a whatever guy. And that's why it's so irritating to me. And in fact, you mentioned it, David, it's, 
that uh, in your rant with with one of your colleagues or whoever it was that uh, I made you I made you I triggered a response in your head. So I want whatever to be like an earwig. You know, it, it's one of those things in your ear that when you say it or hear it, something clicks, and it's like and and it, and it can be an annoying, it can be like the jingle for the cars for kids uh, commercials that are so annoying. You know, I want this to be like that. I want whatever to be an earwig. And in so doing, maybe people will stop and saying. When, and when we start, when we, you know, and starting like back to the point you made very early, we're all leaders starting with leading ourselves. And so as we hear ourselves, either internally or out loud, say whatever, to, to ask yourself, like, what's going on there? What am I actually feeling? And let me yeah. deal with that. And then reckon, okay, I'm feeling disempowered. All right, how can I re-empower myself? What choices do I have? How can I engage in this thing? What constructive choice is available to me? If I want to consciously choose not to do something, that's okay, but make it a conscious choice that is aligned with my intent. Yeah, yeah, it's simple. Uh, and one of the things I, I've I always want to talk about when I talk about decision making, and I think some of your listeners are going to say, well, I like to follow my gut. I just, I just listen to my gut. And that's fine if your gut is informed. But if you're 20 years old and you've never had a job, your gut is not informed. <laughs> and so people point to Steve Jobs all the time. He, used his, he, he was proud that he used his gut. But he had 30 years of experience in product design. He he was his And he got was, fired. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he was informed. So gut is fine if it's informed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another fast way to make decisions. But your gut doesn't always tell you what uh, your gut can sometimes be a little uh, unpredictable. So use with caution. There's a place for using our gut. Make gut decisions. Trust your gut. But recognize the level of how informed your gut is and then also it sounded like you're like use caution yeah yeah i i i think sometimes my gut can often be informed and i talk about it in the book uh by by a personal board of directors mm-hmm. you know, so i have people in my life given the situation uh, i'll ask what i wonder what i wonder what paul newman would have done in this situation or or I, I wonder what so-and-so would have done. And that can help inform my gut. But lots of times just a gut reaction to something that's important isn't, isn't your best option. Yeah, you, that uh, chapter, the never say whatever advisors, your personal board of directors. I yeah. love that. Yeah, and it works. It works for all of us. Yeah, I'm thinking of a, a tough decision I had a number of years ago where uh, my uh, I, I tend to be a do-what-you-say person, right? Which is good. That's, that's good. But they can, you can have too much of that, believe it or not, where sometimes just because you said it, you stick with it. And maybe it makes more sense to make a different decision, but was struggling to get there on that particular one. And you had to go to the board of advisors and say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And they were unanimous. And also one of them said, had a gut check kind of a thing where he said, all right, let me walk you through each of these options, boiled it down. Like you said, well, you basically got two options here. Let's envision this. Six months down the road, you do this. How does your body feel? I said, ooh. Yeah. Tight. Stress. He said, okay. How does it feel over here? Yeah. I love that story. And and I think um, we often want to do that. And I'm encouraging people to do it consciously, to to not be, you know, half-baked about it, but, you know, say, stop and say, 
what would my personal board of advisors tell me about this? Mm. Yes, and to make it conscious. We're talking with Richard Moran, the author of Never Say Whatever, How Small Decisions Make a Big Difference. Um, Richard, I've got more questions. You've got some leadership tips for us uh, and so on here. But before we do any of that, where can listeners go to connect with you, find out more about the book, get the book itself? Tell us where we should go. Okay. The, the book is available all the usual places and Amazon. And, and one of the things that's happening now, which I'm really excited about, is companies that recognize that they're in a sort of whatever mode are buying 400 copies and then putting me on a Zoom Zoom call to, to talk about it. And I that's that's my dream. I like to do that. But I have websites, richardmoran.com. I do check it. I do respond. I am sort of the dear Abby when it comes to uh, not saying whatever. Um, and I'm also really active on, on LinkedIn and talk, uh, respond to messages there and also will respond to questions. And often what I'm talking about is very subtly about the word whatever and how not to use it. And Richard, as you're sharing that, I'm thinking of one of the points you make in the book when you're, you're going through a lot of different uh, uh, opportunities that we have, like working from home and, and remote work and all kind of thing for people who are in that situation. And you say, you, what, you put the words in the mouth of, of, say, a reader, you know, does watching a video with a lot of people on it count as networking? And your answer is a resounding yes. There's all kinds of opportunity to connect. Mm-hmm. And we have an opportunity to connect with you. And you just said, listen, I respond to messages. And what an opportunity that is. So I hope listeners, you don't just go, hey, whatever. Yeah, that's a cool thing. Like make a conscious choice, connect with Richard. You have a great opportunity yeah. there. Yeah, it's it's a it's another whatever. Not don't I am not saying whatever. I'm saying if you ping me, I'll respond. And you know, I, I used to think uh if I made another new friend, I'd have to get rid of some of my high school friends because there's not enough room in my tapes. But now it's it's infinite, the number of relationships one can have. Uh, fantastic. All right. So uh, please connect with Richard, get a copy of this book. Uh, there's so much good, good material, good practical, uh, usable ideas here to avoid whatever thinking for yourself uh, and make those decisions and help your teams to make those decisions and, and create that culture throughout your organization. That said, you've got a chapter entirely uh, kind of focused for managers and leaders, and uh, you've got whatever questions for a leader, different things we could be thinking about. And I just wanted to run through a few of these with you, um, because certainly listeners are going to be able to relate to some of these and walk us through your thinking about them or how you would encourage us to be thinking about them. So uh, let's take, uh, okay, should I try to do one thing or 50 things today? Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a question that needs to be answered. It's not whatever. Otherwise, you'll do three things half-assed. And um, and I think it's it, it is a very strategic question actually that I think leaders need to make every day or every year. Does and the point there's not just one answer to that question, is there? There's there's not. But there. But you, again, it's the intent. If your intent is to move that one thing a mile today then make that decision. Or uh, I think we, we tend to fall into the lazy spot of, you know, doing 50 things means that they're small. And okay, maybe on one day a week you do that, but it's probably better to do that one big thing. 
All right, good. Let's take, uh, let's see. Oh, here's a good one. Is this the best we can do or should we keep working it? Yeah, I, I, again, there's no good, there's no good, uh, there's all good answers to that, but they there's so many variables that affect it. And I think um, if you talk to some software developers, they'll say, okay, it's good enough, get it out there, whatever. And sometimes that's, no, don't do that. Um, but I think when, I think there's also can be a tendency to just keep on working on things, working on things and, and until they're overcooked. So I think you make the decision. It's, it's now's the time, let's get it out there. It's opportune, the market is shifting and, and let's go out there. And it gets back to that, listen to people, look at the data, what are the options, make the decision, boom, you're out there. So the best doesn't mean an infinite amount of time on something. We need to, as Seth Godin says, at some point you have to ship your art. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Let's get one more here. Should I make others work on weekends? Uh, that was a powerful question. Yeah. Um, the answer to that varies by organization, of, of course. Um, but if, if your answer to that is whatever, then you're going to call people at nine o'clock on a Saturday morning and they're not going to like it. Mm -hmm. If you set the rules, if your intent is to have a, a, a culture where that's accepted, then, then your actions can follow that. But, but if you're half-assed about it again, then people are, you're just going to have people mad at you all the time for bothering on the weekends. And rightfully so. It's not defined. And you're not, you're not caring enough to make a conscious decision. Yeah. yeah. All right. You have so many good questions here to not answer whatever and think through. Last one, and there's, I'm just touching a few of these uh, listeners. There's so many. Is it possible to over-communicate? Again, it's a, you know, how many of us have been on those Monday meetings where you don't need to be on it just so that somebody can communicate something that you've already heard? So the answer is yes. But if you say whatever, you know, then you keep on, you know, sort of a operating, what do they call it? The office of redundancy office. <laughs> So it, it changes. All right. So those are just a few examples of the kinds of questions as a leader that you want to be consciously thinking about. Don't allow these to be whatever's. Make a conscious decision. Really look at what, what your options are and, and make the choice. Uh, running it through your advisors, looking at your gut, making sure it's informed, all the things we've been talking about. So, Richard, you have uh, – there is a chapter in this book, and I have read, as you might imagine – not just with this show, but in my career, I've read so many different books on leadership management, career guidance. And there's a chapter that I don't think I have ever read anything quite like it before. And that is on resigning and being fired. You know, there lots of advice out there for managers and leaders on how to fire, let somebody go with dignity in a, in a human-centered way and all of those. But on the other side of it, how to resign, how to be get fired if you are if you're terminated for cause in some way like that, and how to do that well and not with a whatever attitude. I just thought this was brilliant. So I, would, I wondered if you wouldn't mind walking us through. Okay, let's not approach that with a whatever. You've got some very concrete, specific guidance for us. Yeah. Well, we've all been in situations around people who have been fired and. If there's only two kinds of CEOs, by the way, those who have been fired and those who will be fired. Um, so I think 
you know, we always, the, the advice is, is simple, David. It, it, and in both cases, it's do it quickly. If you're going to get fired, you don't need to, you know, give a big rant on the way out. You don't need to tell them what they need to do. They don't care anymore. Uh, so get fired quickly. And if you're going to fire someone, do that quickly also because it, it, it hurts, but there's, there's not, a, not a lot of a recourse. So, so I try to tell people that life goes on and it's not, it's not a whatever moment. It's, it's a point, it's a moment of clarification and to clarify your options. And, and the same for resigning too. If you're choosing to consciously separate and leave an organization, which I have, and, and many listeners, you're going to make that decision at some point for various reasons. That's another place to do it quickly. Yeah, it is. And, and with dignity and give, you, you give, um, you know, the two weeks notice or the three months notice, but even then it's hardly ever, no one wants it. They want, they probably want you to get out as fast as you can and, and recognize that. So it's, it's not a shrug of whatever. It's a bring the relationships with you. How many of us have lifelong relationships from people that we've spoken to, worked with? Absolutely. And I, I, I can count so many people who I did have to fire in, in some cases who are still connections on social media and supporters and, and uh, yeah. uh, cheerleaders in some fashion. Sometimes yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting, but that dignity the, you know, not belaboring it, not, you know, drawing it out. It's just so important because as you say, the relationships always come around again. It's always about relationships and decision-making helps. Avoiding the word whatever will improve relationships. Simple as that. It all gets back to that. Don't say it. Stop saying <laughs> that word. And, you know, a practical, another practical example of that that you share in the book is somebody uh, going for a promotion. I think it was to be partner in a firm uh, did not get chosen. That's a normal for many people, whatever moment, like, okay, well, whatevs, they didn't choose me, you know, yeah. and this yeah. person didn't choose that route. Yeah. That person said, uh, I should have been promoted and I have choices. I can either stay here and be angry or I can go somewhere else. And this, in this case, she was accepted at another firm as a direct admit partner and lived happily ever after. So you don't, that's whatever can be settling. I, I'm going to settle for this, for this, what's given to me, what's presented to me for this career option. And, and settling is just as bad. I mean, settling using the word whatever is just as bad as not making a decision. Well, you are making a decision. You're making a decision to settle and be half miserable. Yeah. Uh, it occurs to me when I'm, when I'm, hearing that word start to go through my mind to say, okay, so yeah, what am I feeling here? And what, what choice do I have? What choice can I make in this moment? Anything that empowers me, that's going to be a conscious intentional choice is going to be better than a whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, well, we just had another one, you know, there's someone at my door in the middle of a beautiful conversation. And I could have said, whatever, I'm going to leave him out there and he's going to bang on the door and be rude to you and him at the same time. And instead I took a TV timeout and said, I, get, I need to let this guy in. The listeners were pulling back the curtain. So you, I'm sure that you didn't notice that uh, pause. Shout out to our, <laughs> oh, our yeah. master oh, producer, Brooke yeah. Bradford for, for taking care of us there. But yeah, absolutely. That's like, those things happen. So let's make a conscious choice. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. We're talking with Richard Moran, our guest today. The book is Never Say Whatever, How Small Decisions Make a Big Difference. And 
Uh, Richard, as we're, we're getting to the end of our time today, uh, you conclude the book. Uh, well, it's not the conclusion, but towards the end, you share a letter that you got uh, from a reader a contact. I can't remember her, her um, relationship to you, but she basically says, so what matters? What are the decisions that matter? And what do I need to be thinking about? And you have an answer. And I thought that might be a good answer for all of us. Yeah. Well, it was a student uh, when I was a college president and she wanted to know what matters. And um, my response was, everything matters. That as we wake up every day, as we, we have the choice to have a good day or not, a whatever day. And so it, it, I sort of battle the, uh, uh, you know, the belief that the small things are not worth paying attention to. And, and they are. They are, they are, they matter, um, maybe not as much as the big things, but when people ask me what matters, I say, how you, how you look, how you behave, everything matters. And it creates your personal brand and it, it will create your success in, in life or in any organization. Mm. One of the, the kind of concluding chapter quotes towards the end of the book is, is you say, when you care about something, every decision matters. Mm -hmm. When you don't care about something, why are you doing it? That's a decision yeah. too. Yeah. All right. Well, Richard, final word of advice for our listeners who are looking at everything that we've talked about. They're listening and, okay, I don't want to, don't want to do the whatever. Sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes I I'm struggling with that. And uh, so if I, and I know I need to lead myself first before I ask that of other people, what advice do you have for somebody who is very transparently wrestling with that right now? Yeah. My advice is to line them up and for each decision that you're dealing with, um, lay out what the options are and pick one and just knock them off one at a, one at a time and you'll feel better and go just line them up and knock them down. And the energy that comes with that is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Richard Moran, thank you so much for being a guest today on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. It's been great, David. Thanks so much for having me. It's been our pleasure. All right, listeners, so there you go. What matters? If you care about something, every decision matters. So line them up, figure out your options, make them, and don't allow those decisions to just float by. Make them consciously and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.